we're really grateful that you have joined us for worship today. Uh, let me just say as we begin, I really do uh, think of it as an honor to be your preacher and to minister among you and to serve with you. And uh, I just am thankful to be a part of this church family. I've been blessed. My family has been blessed. We feel loved and encouraged and supported. And I guess all these thoughts came about when I, I heard again our, the person leading our prayer lift up my name in prayer. You know, what a blessing it is to be prayed for by name. And I know that's not just the case in the assembly. I know from what you've told me, and I think I can trust you and believe you, uh, that you pray for me in, in your own private prayers. And I know Alex would say the same thing. What, what an honor and a blessing it is to be prayed for and to have my family prayed for as well. Um, some people ask if I still get nervous when I get up here. The answer is every single time. It makes me nervous. And if you've shaken my hand, you know my hands are cold and clammy. They're like that most of the time. Uh, so my apologies, you know, just keep, keep the, if that grosses you out, keep the Purell close by. You can do a few squirts after you shake my hand. It's just the way God made me, I guess. Especially on Sunday mornings, my hands get clammy. I get nervous. Uh, just sitting out there, this, when we're singing that final song, this sense of dread kind of kicks in like, here we go, I hope I, hope I remember everything. And so I really do appreciate when somebody comes up and says that, that old phrase, please help Joseph have a ready recollection. That gives me a sense of calm. And I, I just, I'm filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. I want, wanted to express that to you as we begin. And I'm just thankful for your patience with me as a preacher. And I'm thankful for what Paul has to say about preaching in the New Testament, that it's not about the preacher's abilities and talents. It is about the power of God's word and the gospel. And I'm thankful that uh, despite my weaknesses, that God still gets a word out to his people week after week. This, is, this act of preaching, it's not about me showing off my abilities. It is about the power and the strength of God. And I hope that always comes through week after week. We're going to start a new series. And to begin, I want to, be, to start in Galatia, this region with which some of you may be familiar if you've read your Bibles, uh, if you've read in the Gospel of Acts, if you've read the letter written to the churches in this region. This was a, an area in ancient Asia Minor that is now part of modern-day Turkey. And this is a region that Paul traveled through on his first missionary journey. You can read about his travels through this region in Acts chapter 14. Paul had preached the Gospel of Jesus Christ he had established churches in several towns in the area, places that you see on the map here like Iconium, Lystra, Derby. He had declared among the people, some of them Jews, some of them not, that salvation, and you know, this was a radical message to the Jews and to the Gentiles, salvation does not come through adherence to the law of Moses. That is a thing of the past. It now is available by genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And this salvation is not reserved for Israel alone, not for God's historic people in the Old Testament, but for anybody with faith, obedient faith. 
But when Paul writes these Christians a letter, the letter that we call Galatians, just a few years after his visit, these churches were having significant problems. False teachers had weaseled their way into these congregations and they were telling the believers that they still had to follow some regulations from the old law, the law of Moses, in order to please God. And the purpose of Galatians is for Paul to say, they're wrong. Don't listen to them. He is combating this distortion of the gospel that had crept its way into the churches. And one of the ways that Paul does this in this letter is by pointing back to one man in the distant past. A man who the Jews would have been familiar with, the Gentiles probably not so much. A man who lived 2,000 years before the events of the first century. So, the time uh, that existed between this man and the first century is the same amount of time that has elapsed between the first century and now. And so the way that we view the first century is the way that they would have viewed the time in which this man lived. The man's name is Abraham. Now what in the world, and I have a picture of him here, All right, We had a picture of Peter a couple weeks ago, and now I've got a picture of Abraham. Uh, That joke has worn out its welcome, hasn't it? I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make a note of that. We'll retire that one, okay? What in the world? does Abraham have to do with these Christians' faith? What is the connection? Well, as it turns out, quite a lot. And it all has to do with how Abraham connects with Jesus Christ. Now today, as I said, we're going to start a new sermon series, and we're calling it more about Jesus. Who he really is and why it matters. Now I know that you know about Jesus. You're here because you know about Jesus. You're here because you love Jesus. You're here because you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. You recognize Him as the Son of God, as God in the flesh, as your Savior and Lord. Many of you have confessed His name. You've been baptized into His name. You have put on Christ in baptism. You are in Christ. You seek to follow in Christ's footsteps. I know that you know about Jesus. But do you know everything there is to know about Jesus? Do you have a complete understanding of Jesus? Do you have the full picture of who Jesus is? When I was in high school, I was a band geek. I was. I was a band geek, a band nerd. Uh, And some of you out there can say the same. Uh, And I also played in the Chattanooga Youth Symphony. And one year, we played a piece of music by the English composer Edward Elgar. And some of you are saying, never heard of him, don't care. Uh, But even if you haven't heard his name, you most certainly have heard his most famous piece of music. You hear it every year at graduation, Pomp and Circumstance. Shall I continue? You get the picture. No, you don't want me to continue. Because you hear that when you go to commencement exercises over and over and over again. You can thank Mr. Elgar for that. But the piece that we played in the Chattanooga Youth Symphony was called Variations on an Original Theme. Not a real exciting title for a piece of music. But Edward Elgar took a theme 
a, a melody, just a combination of a few notes, and he created 15 different movements or variations. And they all sound differently, though they all are comprised of the same pattern of notes. One is in a minor chord. If you know anything about music, then you know that this one sounds eerie and sad. Another sounds playful. One sounds busy and frantic. Another bright and cheerful. One sounds forceful and heavy. Another sounds very romantic. And one is so moving and powerful, it might even make you cry. Each sermon in this series is about Jesus Christ. Just as each movement in that piece of music contains the same melody. But as each movement uses the same notes to create a different sound and feeling, each sermon in this series is going to focus on a different aspect of who Jesus Christ is. We're going to explore some new angles on Jesus. But these are not new angles at all. They are, in fact, quite old. And the premise, one of the premises of this series is that to really understand and get a grasp of our Lord and Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, we can't start reading the Bible in Matthew. If you start reading in Matthew, you miss so much about who Jesus is. In order to be primed and prepared for the arrival of Christ, you've got to go all the way back to Genesis. And you've got to read Genesis through Malachi. And then, along with the Jews, you are ready to meet and receive the Savior of the world. In this series, we're going to do just what Philip did, that early Christian leader in the book of Acts, chapter 8. You remember when Philip had this encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch? He was sent by the Spirit to meet up with this believer as he was riding in a chariot back down to Africa where he resided. He'd been to Jerusalem to worship. And he's reading, you remember what he's reading? The prophet Isaiah. And Philip comes up to him and he says, hey, what are you reading? And he says, this passage which happened to be Isaiah 53, the passage about the suffering Savior, you know, the lamb that was led to the slaughter. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, no, I really don't. Unless, I, you know, I need somebody to, to help me understand. I need somebody to help interpret. And so what the scriptures say is that Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this passage, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. He showed him that what he was reading all the way back in the prophet Isaiah has been fulfilled in Christ. And that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to look at all the concepts, not all, but some of the concepts and the figures in the Old Testament that point ahead to the Messiah. We're going to try to help connect the dots. And in so doing, I hope that we will... Now, I said earlier, do you have a complete picture of Jesus? Listen, we are not going to be going to come to a total complete picture of Jesus in this series. We will not do that short of... of of eternity we won't be able to do that in this life but i do hope that in this series we will come to a fuller more complete understanding of who jesus christ is and as a result i pray that we will come to a greater appreciation for jesus that our love for him will grow and our understanding of what that means for us what is his will for us as those who confess faith In Jesus Christ. So let's go back to where we began. What is it that makes this man, Abraham, significant for these Christians and 
you know, here's just a spoiler alert. He's significant for us too. So we need to pay attention closely. Well, here are a couple things to begin. Abraham was not an Israelite. And the reason is there was no such thing at this point in the history of man. In fact, Abraham was a pagan. He came from an old city known as Ur of the Chaldeans. And in that place, they had a big temple that was dedicated to the moon god named Nana. That's where Abraham was from. According to Genesis chapter 11, some of you like the name of that god, Nana, the moon god. That's who they worshipped in Ur. That's where Abraham was from. He was an outsider. And Paul is writing to some churches that contain not just Jews, not just insiders, not just Israelites, not just Hebrews, but people from outside. God's historic people. Outsiders. Abraham was such a man. And he was justified by his faith in God not by his works. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 said that when God spoke to him, when God made promises to him, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was made right in God's sight. He was justified. Uh, It was counted to him as righteousness when he believed through his active, obedient, genuine faith. That's how he was made right before God. And Paul's point in Galatians, and in other places in the New Testament, is that the way that Abraham was made right in God's sight looked ahead to what God is doing now. Listen, if you're an outsider, he's saying, Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia, if you're not from among the Hebrews, let me tell you about Abraham. He was an outsider too. And he didn't become right with God through strict adherence to the law. He became right with God through his faith. Through his genuine, obedient faith. And that's the same today. God is, Paul is declaring to these churches, as some false teachers had snuck in the back door and started saying, no, 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 no. It's not about grace through faith. It's about you got to do this, this, and this, and this, and all these old regulations from the law. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Abraham. Abraham. He was an outsider. And he was made right with God. By his faith. And that's what God is doing today. God is saving Jews and non-Jews and outsiders apart from the law. So that's a big connection to Abraham that we as Christians have today. But the connections go much deeper than that. As you may remember, God made some big promises to Abraham. Among them, God said, in you, we've got it up here on the screen. I think the slide before this. In you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, verse 3. God just appears to Abraham out of the blue and communicates all these promises to Abraham and one among them is this. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now at this time, Abraham was already an old man and he didn't have a family. He had a wife, yes, but no children because his wife was barren. And yet, and yet, Abraham believed God. He had faith that God was going to make good on his promises. In you, in your offspring, in your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, it was long believed, and rightly so, that those who were in Abraham 
were his blood descendants. The son he eventually had with his wife Sarah named Isaac. And Isaac's son Jacob, who was later renamed Israel, who had 12 sons whose families became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And it was long believed and taught, of course, in the Old Testament Scriptures, that that Israel is the nation through whom God was going to bless the world. But listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3. And I want to challenge you, grab your Bible and go with me to Galatians 3, okay? Listen, this is kind of some heavy stuff. This is kind of deep. And one of my prayers for these sermons is that they are coherent and understandable and I'm not losing anybody and people aren't falling asleep and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I know some of that I can't prevent. You know, seems like every week I look out, somebody's gone off to La La Land. That's okay. I just, my goal is to keep most of you awake. And it will help you if you go to Galatians chapter 3. Read with me what Paul says in, starting at verse 7. Know then... That it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith. Not blood kin. Not descendants. God is doing something new. God's family looks different now. Entrance into God's family is not the same as it used to be. It is through the door of faith that one gains access to the community of God. It is those of faith who are now connected to Abraham, sons of Abraham, and the Scripture, look at this. If you really think about this, it's mind-blowing. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So do you see what, what Paul is saying here? That this plan to send Jesus Christ to bring redemption to the whole earth, to welcome in to God's family both Jews and Gentiles, this has been in the works from the time of Abraham. And in the time of Abraham, the gospel was declared in a way that can only now be understood now that Jesus has arrived on the scene. What was confusing then is clear now. God has been at work. This plan has been in motion from this time. Everything is connected. It's extraordinary. So then, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Talking about faith. It's all about faith. Well, faith in whom? And Paul says the gospel was declared back then to Abraham. The gospel about whom? Well, the answer comes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Check this out. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, singular, who is Christ. So this is the one that God's people have been waiting for. And through this one, God's family is opened up to all sorts of people. If they come to him by faith. So it's not about Isaac, it's not about Jacob, and it's not about Judah, and it's not about all these descendants who have come through this bloodline. Christ comes through this bloodline, and when he arrives, Paul declares, that's the offspring. That's the offspring that was talked about all the way back there in Genesis chapter 12. 
2,000 years before Jesus came on the scene, 4,000 years from where we sit right here. Isn't the Bible amazing? Isn't God amazing? Isn't his plan remarkable? And who's at the center of it all? Well, that's the purpose of our sermon series. It's Jesus. Jesus is at the center of this book. He's at the center of history. Jesus Christ is the linchpin. Jesus, the offspring of Abraham. Now, here's what this means for those of us in Christ. I want to share some good news with you. First of all, like Abraham, you are the recipient of God's unmerited favor. Just like Abraham. That was one of Paul's points. Why did God, of all the people he could have picked, in order to make promises to, in order to select you know, this person's family for great things in the future, why did God pluck up Abraham from that dusty old pagan city called Ur of the Chaldeans? Some of us might say, well, it's because of this quality of Abraham or that quality or because he you know, was well-known or because he was wealthy. I mean, God can use all that stuff, but I don't think that's why God picked him. I don't know why God picked him other than that's God's gracious choice. God selected him, and his selection of Abraham is just as inexplicable, just as unexplainable as his selection of any of us to be a part of his kingdom. Why am I the recipient of so much favor and so many blessings from my God now through Jesus, who is Abraham's offspring? The story of the scriptures and the story of us, it's not about human potential. It's about how God works through our lives in spite of, in the absence of human potential. God's favor has nothing to do with your worthiness and everything to do with His goodness. Why is it that any of us sit here and and we're blessed to be baptized believers, to be heirs of the promises to be looking forward to an eternal life with God. God has been so good to us. And I didn't do anything to earn that. I didn't do anything to deserve that. All the glory goes to God. God has selected us and he's been so good to us. And it's just as unexplainable as Abraham's selection. Abraham, just like Abraham, you are the recipient of God's unmerited favor. And you know what else? You're part of something way bigger than yourself. You're part of something way bigger than yourself. You know, when John McCain died a few weeks ago, we were all reminded of his service and his sacrifice to our country. And I'm always hesitant about bringing up political leaders because I know how polarizing these can be. And, you know, this is not a political statement. You may have disagreed with his politics or decisions that he made in his life But I think that we could all agree that the five years he spent in captivity undergoing torture at the hands of the Vietnamese because of his devotion to country is admirable. Why did he do that? You know, why was he willing to be a POW in Vietnam from 1968 to 1973, at one point even refusing early release unless every man taken in before him was also released? Why would he endure the horrors of captivity and constant torture? 
It was because he was committed, I believe, to a cause greater than himself. He knew he was part of something bigger than himself. And as Christians, we can do even better than that. Because we're part of something that stretches well beyond the founding, well before the founding of the United States of America, before the Roman Empire, before all the ancient kingdoms. You, if you're a baptized believer, you're part of a worldwide, centuries-old mission of God to bless all the nations and families of the earth. Did you know that? A promise that was made to Abraham and fulfilled in Jesus extends through you. Do you know who you are? I think sometimes our sense of who we are and our place in history is so small and so limited. Let me tell you who you are. You are children of Abraham, a man who lived 4,000 years ago through Jesus Christ who is his offspring. And here's the big point. God wants to bless the world through you. You are a beneficiary of the blessings that God promised to Abraham and those blessings God intends to extend through you to the people around you, to the families and all the nations of the earth. You have been benefited from these blessings and now God wants to use you as a conduit through which those blessings can continue. That's your purpose. That's why you're here. That's who you are. To be a blessing to the world. That's your, that's your reason for living. To bless the world. To serve the good of others. In word and deed. In the name of Jesus. For the glory of God. That's your marching orders. That's your identity. You know, people live for all sorts of purposes. Some people live to work. They are, you know, fastidiously committed to their job. Uh, we call them workaholics. They seem to think of nothing else than their work life. Some just seem to live to enjoy life. And they bounce from one great experience to the next, from one vacation to the next, from one concert to the next, from from. You know, it's all about fun, and I'm working in order to have fun. Some people seem to live to fight, and they want to fight you about anything, and they want to fight you about politics and all the latest cultural issues on social media and maybe to your face. Some people, it seems, just live to exist. And they just go through the motions. And life does not seem meaningful to them. But you, you live To bless. You're a child of Abraham. Through Jesus Christ. And the promises that were made to Abraham. Extend to you and through you. Father Abraham had many sons and daughters. Many sons and daughters had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm. I'm not going to make you do all that this morning. All right. Listen, we gather to bless. That's why we're here. I know we're here to worship the Lord. But Paul was greatly concerned when he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 14 that their assemblies be about building each other up and encouraging one another. He was greatly concerned about that. He was concerned that their assemblies were not for the better, but for the worse. Because they weren't focused on encouraging each other. Listen, when we come together, you ought to come through those doors intending, prepared to bless other people with a smile, 
with a hug, with a handshake, with an encouraging word, with asking somebody how they're doing because you know they've been struggling with something or they've lost a loved one. When I go out those doors this morning, I want to see some blessing going on. I want to see the children of Abraham through Jesus Christ seeking to be a blessing to the people, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That is why we have come together in order to bless each other. And you know, when we leave here, we don't just gather to bless, we go to bless. We go out in order to be a blessing. I think every morning we should wake up and say, Lord, make me a blessing today. Help me to be a blessing to somebody through whatever means possible. And you have many opportunities in this church family to be a blessing. We have suffered through many losses lately. People have lost loved ones. When that happens, the church is given a great opportunity to rise up and to be called blessed. To be a blessing. By picking up the phone and calling somebody who's grieving. By picking up a pen and writing a note. By going to visit. By going to the funeral home. I will never forget when my grandmother died about 10 years ago. This was so moving to me. When the church van pulled up in the parking lot and out popped T and Caroline Simmons along with 15 people from the youth group. Boy, that meant so much to me. That was a blessing to me. You can be a blessing. You're supposed to be a blessing. The youth group gets to be a blessing this afternoon when they get together and deliver some mums and some pumpkin bread to some people in our congregation. But listen, some of the most meaningful, important church work you will never find on the pages of our bulletin. Because it is the simple acts of kindness and service that you do throughout your daily life. Not because you're involved in a ministry, but just because you're a Christian. And we'll never know about those things. But you seek to bless others in your daily life just because you know that's what God wants you to do. And that's what you have been intended by God to do. That's the best church work there is. In 1957, a young woman named Frances Hester was asked to decorate a bulletin board inside a Memphis area church. It was just before Christmas time. And so she chose to make the theme about blessing. She selected Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And as she stood there and looked at those words and reflected on their meaning, she remembered a couple that she passed by just that morning who needed help. They were elderly Poorly dressed, dirty. The man walked with a crutch and was missing a leg. And she stood there and looked at her bulletin board inside her church building and she was confronted with a reality that many of us face. She asked herself, what am I doing in here? Here I am putting up this bulletin board and there's a couple right outside who need my help. Convicted, she left the building. She found the couple. She asked how she could help. She took their clothes home to wash. She began to help them find housing and employment. One Christian brother provided this man a job. The mayor of Memphis even got involved to help provide a prosthetic leg to help this man. And soon this man became a follower of Jesus. He was baptized into Christ. And all that was because this Christian lady chose to be a blessing. She was just an ordinary Christian lady. Member of a church of Christ over in Memphis. She passed away earlier this year. But because of that simple decision, among many others, she became known as a blessing. Are you known for being a blessing? When people think about you, do they think that person 
They are just a blessing. I want to be that kind of person. When people think about me after I'm gone, when they remember me, I want them to say, he was a blessing. He was just a a fountain of blessing. And being around him was refreshing. All the way back in Genesis, God told Abraham that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars of heaven. God said, look up at the expanse above you. Can you count the stars? Your offspring will be that numerous. And you know what? Through Jesus, you are numbered among those stars. You are the light in a sea of darkness. That's what you're supposed to be at least. According to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel or a basket. No, they put it up on a tabletop so it can be seen by all. You are that light. You are the stars shining forth in a sea of darkness in a sinful world. You are shaped by God to bless. And today you have the opportunity... If Listen, if you're not in Christ, you have not yet enlisted in the blessing army. And that's the invitation today. To come and confess the name of Jesus Christ. To come and to be baptized into Christ so that you can become like Him, an offspring of Abraham shaped to bless the world around you. If you're struggling in any way, we invite you to come also right now as we stand and sing.